But I want to give you just a little bit and just an overview. And I know we talked about before, some people didn't even realize, realize what the rapture was, and so we kind of got into that. And just a, as a highlight, and this is a real simple graph that shows you where the rapture is according to the pre-tribulation rapture idea. Basically, you have the Old Testament times, you have the time of Christ, so the church age after that. The very first thing on the prophetic timetable, according to pre-tribulation rapture, is the pre-tribulation rapture. That's the very first thing that's supposed to happen uh, in this timetable. After that, you have the uh, basically seven years of the tribulation period, and after that, the second coming of Christ and the millennium. And as I talked about, according to pre-tribulation rapture, they don't count the rapture as being a coming of Christ because according to them, he comes in the clouds, he never actually steps foot on the earth. So they don't count that as a, as a coming. I still think it's a coming myself, but that's me. Mid-tribulation rapture, same graph, except they, you'll move the rapture down to the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation period is cut in half, three and a half years to three and a half years. And you get taken out in the in the middle of it there. The, the mid-tribulation rapture is not a super widely held view. Um, and, and I'd say it, it's, it's not as old as some of the others. All of them claim that the church always believed this. I don't care if you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. They all claim that the church always believed this. Um, but in reality, I don't think the mid-trib has been as old of, of a theory as some of the others, although it's older than the pre-trib rapture idea. Pre-wrath kind of moves it just a little bit further. It doesn't divide the tribulation period by three and a half by three and a half. You have the halfway point of the three and a half years, and then sometime shortly after that, you have the rapture that takes place. So that's pre-wrath. Then you have post-tribulation, which is clear at the end, all the way just before the millennial reign, and that's where they believe that the rapture takes place, we meet the Lord in the air, and then we come down and God establishes His kingdom rule at that time. That's just a quick overview of those views. And just to throw out there, preterism, and I mentioned that I was going to tell you what that is. Preterism is the belief that none of this stuff that we've been going over the last few weeks applies to us. According to preterists, it all took place in 70 A.D. when Titus destroyed Jerusalem. And, and they believe that from the time of Christ to 70 A.D., all last day's prophetic prophecy was fulfilled. And so when the temple was destroyed, they believed that that was basically the end of what we read about prophetically. And when you read, and we'll get into it a little bit uh, again shortly here, Matthew 24, which we've gone over several times, he starts that text in there, Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple. That's what they base their belief on. Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple. He wasn't talking about the last days. But I'll get into that in a little bit further. But that's what preterism believes. And I don't really want to get into it a lot, but let me say that the reason I don't agree with them, you can list some of the things in Matthew 24, their sister chapters in Mark or Luke, um, uh, and say, yeah, that, that part was fulfilled in 70 AD, and that was fulfilled in 70 AD, but there's some of Matthew 24 that wasn't fulfilled in 70 AD. So how does that work? Jesus didn't return. There wasn't a rapture that took place. There wasn't a trumpet from heaven. So... To say that it all was fulfilled in 70 A.D. doesn't work in my, in my timetable. So I threw that out there to tell you what preterism is. But this is actually a growing belief. There's more and more people believing in, in preterism. 
This I threw up there for an idea of what the rapture actually is. Um, and, and so, the different views on it, I should say. And so that you have an idea of it. Now, this is my thought. Whether you're mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib, doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Doesn't matter, because it's still all the way down there. So, at what point down there it takes place is not that relevant to me. It's going to be a terrible time on the earth. Right. So, it doesn't matter. Preterism and pre-trib have a different dynamic to it. We go into this thing believing that none of this is going to happen, we're going to get caught off guard. If we think, oh, it'll happen in 70 AD, it's all over with. Uh, we're going to get caught off guard. Pre-trib, my concern, and I went over this a little bit last week, is the fact that the church has been lulled to sleep by the pre-trib rapture idea. We have nothing to worry about. We're not going to go through any hard times. Everything's going to be hunky-dory until the day that trumpet blows and we're out of here, and then everything that's going to happen. And as I mentioned last week, there's been several times down through history where the Christians have been caught flat-footed because they were so convinced that the rapture was going to take place. And they got destroyed because of their lack of preparation, because they were not ready for what came upon them. And I mentioned the, uh, the Boxer Rebellion where the Chinese Christians were slaughtered. But they went into it. They knew this was coming. They knew it was coming. They knew that Mao was going to come against them. But they were so convinced that the rapture was going to take place that they, they weren't worried about it. Well, the rapture didn't take place. And they lost faith because they, they, they were so believing in it. The, the, if you've ever been to Europe, there's churches and cathedrals everywhere in Europe. And they're all empty. And most of them are empty, uh, according to my research, because in, 1930, in the 1930s, those Europeans were so convinced that the pre-trib rapture was going to take place that when all of a sudden there's bombs blowing up in their streets and tanks running down their streets and their, and their families are being slaughtered, it destroyed their faith in God because they were so sure that the rapture was going to take place. That's why I fear the pre-tribulation rapture. I don't like the teaching. Just being honest with you, I don't like it. I think it's very dangerous um, because of that. The other ones, frankly, I don't care. I'm somewhere probably around pre-wrath, post-trib, and I don't take a stand on it because honestly, I don't know. I mean, there's things that make both of them make a little bit of sense to me, or I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot of sense to me. Mid-trib, can't really hang with that one. But again, to me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Once it's all down there, it's just a matter of a little bit of time. You hear people talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. If you were here about, I think it was the Easter before last, I did a message on the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, I talked about that. Um, and so I don't, I'm not going to go into a lot because we don't have a lot of time. But the 70 weeks of Daniel were a vision of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, where he actually prophesied to the time. He said, from the, going, from the going forth of the commandment from Artaxerxes to build the temple, you have 483 years until Christ will enter triumphantly back into to Jerusalem. And that took place exactly like he said. Uh, and that's the 69 weeks. 70 sevens is what it... What? I don't have a microphone on. Now I do. 
<laughs> 77, which is 469 weeks. Then the, the, the great diaspora or diaspora or however you call it, which is basically the dispersing of Israel because of their sin, uh, where God spread them all over the earth after 70 AD, after the fall of, of Jerusalem by Titus. That's where we're at now. And, the set, and uh, AD, I'm sorry, in 48, they consider that ending when the Jews came back to, to Israel. We're in that point now, behind, past the 1948. And so then there's going to be a covenant made with Israel. Daniel chapter 9 talks about that, where the Antichrist will make a seven-year covenant with Israel. In the midst of that covenant, he's going to break that covenant. And that's going to be a great time of, uh, of uh, when, the, when the, the real tribulation times begins to take place. Um, and so that's the 70 week. The last week is that seven year prophetic period of tribulation. I just threw that out there to give you an overview of what the 70 weeks of Daniel means. Okay. I can get into that in greater detail at, at another time, but we would be here for a while and I wouldn't get to the point of what we're doing. I just wanted to do that as an overview. First rule of hermeneutics. You remember we talked about hermeneutics. First thing is look at the plain text. What does it say? You will find if you're studying scripture, there's a whole lot of theologians and, and commentators and stuff that will tell you, you read a passage and you say, oh, I know what that means. And then they say, no, that actually means exactly opposite. And they go through this big, long ordeal trying to take the scripture and twist and turn and stomp and... And I'm like, just read the text. What does it say? What I have never seen in my study is a time where you look at a text and find out that when you study it deeper, it means the opposite. Never seen that. When you study it deeper, you'll find a deeper meaning of that text, but it's not going to mean the opposite of what it says. And so we have to stick with the plain text. When we're talking about the rapture, what does that have? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. And you remember this uh, this text from earlier, we used it a couple of weeks ago. I want to go through a few texts here that just give us a timetable, a little bit of an in, insight into the timetable when this rapture is going to be, take place. Behold, I show you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. There's a clue. It's what the FBI calls a clue. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. The last trump. Now there's a lot of argument about what this last trump is. Is this the trumpets of, uh, of the book of Numbers or is it the trumpets of the book of Revelation or are they different trumpets altogether? And honestly, I don't know. <laughs> it could be Revelation trumpets. Uh, and I've heard them argue and say, well, uh, Revelation... Uh, hadn't even been written yet when Paul wrote this. So therefore, Paul couldn't be drawing on Revelation. That doesn't even make sense to me. The Holy Spirit gave the Word of God to the men of God. The, they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So Paul and John would write the same things even though they didn't get together on it because the same Holy Spirit was guiding them as they were writing. So I don't think that that argument makes sense. But this is one thing I do know that, that pre-tribulation people hit a wall right here. Because no matter how you look at it, you remember what I said? The very first thing on the prophetic timetable for a pre-tribulation rapture believer is what? The rapture. There's no way you can say that it's anything but the first trump. <laughs> how can it be the last trump if it's the first thing on the prophetic scale? It doesn't even make sense. 
Whether that last trumpet is a revelation, and, and maybe sometime soon we'll go through the trumpets of revelation, um, but whether it's that one or whether it's the book of Numbers, and let me give you a quick insight. The book of Numbers, there was two main trumpets, or a whole bunch of others, but two main ones. The trumpet of warning and the trumpet of gathering. They blew a trumpet of warning to, to let people know something was happening. There was a danger or something was taking place. Then there was a trumpet, trumpet of warning to gather people together. There were several other trumpets, but those were the two main ones. The, the trumpet of gathering was considered the last trumpet. The last trumpet. That was the last thing you did. You gave warning, and then when it was time, you blew the trumpet, the people gathered together. So a lot of pre-tribulation people hold to that. They say that last trump means the trumpet, trumpet of gathering. That is that time of gathering. My problem is, it's still, the rapture, according to them, is the first thing on the, on the, the timetable. It's the first thing that happens is the rapture. So how can it be any last trumpet, no matter which last trumpet it is? How can it be the last one when it's the first thing that takes place? It doesn't work for me. So, does that make sense at all? Matthew 24, and this is just an outline to give you an idea. And I said this a little bit earlier. What happened here? Let me take a moment and go there just so I can. Your battery's died. Again? What is wrong with my battery? You're not supposed to take them out of the new battery. You need new batteries. I just put new batteries in it. You know one. <laughs> Intermission. Go get your popcorn refill. <laughs> We have ignition. Intermission's over. Matthew 24. Let me get there real quick. And this, I talked about this just a moment ago about preterism. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's teaching them. And he specifically says that the temple will, uh, knows not one stone will be upon the other. In Matthew 24, verse 1, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the temple. But is that all he's talking about? We don't really know. I mean, obviously this is what was recorded, but this conversation was probably much deeper than this. But this is the thing that I think is very, very important. Uh, it says, verse 3, And as he sat upon the mount of all of the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, right? And what should be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age or the end of the world? This is where the argument takes place. End of the age. That meant 70 AD, according to Preterists is the end of the age. According to pre-tribulation pre rapturist, the end of the age is until the rapture takes place. To a post-tribulation rapturist, the end of the age is when the rapture takes place at the end of the tribulation period. So what does that end of the age mean? See, to me, that's where I say it's minutia. I don't care. Look at what's taking place. 
Jesus has asked a direct question. You did this with your kids, right? Where did you go after school today? <laughs> Where did you take your girlfriend when I told you to do this? You know, Direct question. They asked Jesus, when will these things be? When's the temple going to fall? What will be the sign of your coming? This is a different subject. And your coming is a different subject than the destruction of the temple and the end of the age or the end of the world. They can argue that one, it doesn't matter. Jesus then begins to give them, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, uh, famines, earthquakes. Then there's going to be persecution. They're going to come against you. They're going to betray you. They're going to kill you. The preachers of the gospel, the kingdom's going to take place. The great tribulation's going to take place. False Christ, false prophets, all these are going to take place. Uh, then there's going to be a change in the celestial phenomenon. Right down in here, you have the rise of the Antichrist. He's already on scene according to Matthew 24 at this point. And he's already committed the abomination of desolation. The gathering of the church doesn't happen until way down, what, in verse uh, 31, or 30 actually. Clear back in verse, clear down in verse 30, and then shall appear the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and shall see the Son of Man coming. Now, this is what I think is important. If there had been a worldwide rapture, wouldn't he have mentioned it? He's asking, he was asked a direct question about signs. What will be a sign? Now, the argument is, and I'm not going to get into dispensationalism, but just to make it simple, they say, well, he was talking only to the Jews. Matthew 24 is just for the Jews. Now, that's a two-edged sword. So Matthew 24 is just to the Jews. What about Matthew 23? What about Matthew 10? What about John, Peter, John, James? When you start saying, well, I don't like what this text says, so I'm going to say he was just talking to that crowd over there. He wasn't talking to me. Where does that end, scripturally speaking? God gave the word of God for who? All of us. Now, if I, Bob and I are over here chatting, and I, and I say, you know, there's a D9 caterpillar coming this way, and he said he's just going to level this whole church. He's just coming over here to level it. And Jim says, what'd you say? What? What? Never mind, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that affect Jim? And you? Right? I mean, how do you tell them, uh, he was only talking to the Jews, even though this is going to be worldwide events. The sun's going to be darker. The moon's not going to give the light. The rise of the Antichrist. All this stuff is going to be worldwide. It's silly to say, oh, he was just talking to the Jews. And so the problem with the preacher tri rapture crowd is way back, now probably not in the beginning of sorrows, but it's clear up in here, millions of people all of a sudden vanished from the earth and Jesus didn't mention it. <laughs> that doesn't even work. And, and they, they argue, well, because it's to the Jews, nobody else will know. Have you ever heard of CNN <laughs> or Fox News? Let a million, a couple million people vanish from the earth and everybody's going to know it. So that would have been a huge sign had Jesus uh, mentioned that. And to me, it's dishonest for him not to have mentioned it when he was asked for signs. Did that make sense? <laughs> Then what does Matthew 24, 29 through 31 say? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. 
Shall the sun be dark and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and there shall appear the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Sounds like the rapture to me. And it also says all the tribes. All the tribes. Everybody. So it can't just be for Israel, right? So this is a clear indication in Scripture where he says, after the tribulation of those days. In Luke 21, we have a parallel passage of Matthew 24. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And then these things begin to come to pass. And look up, lift up your head for your redemption. Draw up nigh. When these things begin to come to pass. Mark 13 is another parallel passage of, Mark, of Matthew 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun shall be dark and the moon shall not give her light, and etc. Daniel. If you've ever read Daniel, you know Daniel, clear back in chapter 7, starts talking about the rise of the Antichrist. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 will give you stuff that the Antichrist is doing, that the world is doing, the wars and the conflicts and the battles and all the stuff that we saw in Matthew 24 condensed in one chapter is in Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Perfectly the way that Matthew 24 says it. It's not until Daniel chapter 12 that we see a parallel to Matthew 24, verse 30, right? And at that time shall Michael stand up. Uh, the voice of the archangel, remember? It's what it says in Thessalonians. Who's Michael? The archangel. Obviously, we're talking about the same event here. Stand before the children of that people, and they should, there shall be a time of trouble, tribulation, right? Such as was never since the nation, there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, my people shall be delivered, every one of them that shall be found written in the book. What is he talking about? The rapture. He gathered his people and delivered them. And many of them with sleep in the dust of the earth shall awaken some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So again, clear text tells us that the rapture is after all this stuff with the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, or 2, 1 through 4. Now this, let me lay a context here. Paul had written 1 Thessalonians and he'd given it to the church of Thessalonica. I still... <laughs> struggle with it. That's he gave it to that church and chapter 4 remember verse 16 the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so shall we ever be with the Lord that is something we went over a couple of weeks ago that is clearly the rapture nobody really argues that point that is the rapture okay when the church of Thessalonica got that book, history tells us that some of them said, yeah, we're cool. Rapture's going to take place at any time. We're ready to let's get on out of here. And they sat up on the hill drinking iced tea and waiting for Jesus to come back. And then there was also false letters being passed around that were claimed to be from the Apostle Paul. And you'll see that in, that, in this text here, uh, that no man deceive you by any means. I'm sorry, back up a little bit. Uh, beseech your brethren by coming of our Lord and our gathering on him. Be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us. There was letters going around claiming to be Paul's, saying that the rapture had already taken place. Paul was in prison. 
He was not able to go to Thessalonica to straighten out this confusion. So he wrote the book of 2 Thessalonians, and this is what he said. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did they ask him in chapter 24 of Matthew? What will be the sign of your coming? Same thing. And by our gathering together unto him. What would that be? The rapture. <laughs> They'd be soon shaken to mind or troubled neither by the word of the letter as must that 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 the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. Now get this logic. Pre-tribulation rapture say that that get falling away is actually catching away or snatching away. So the rapture can't happen until the rapture happens. I don't understand. I've ne the million times I've read that and heard them preach that, it still makes no sense to me. They try to say that the, the falling away is actually the rapture. So all that's not going to happen until the rapture takes place. So the, yeah. Uh, anyway, and that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, and who opposes all that's called God of worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What is that? That's called the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel by Daniel the prophet. In that time of, uh, of uh, there's a covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. The way he breaks that covenant is that he goes into the temple of God. The Antichrist goes into the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. That's called the abomination of desolation. Daniel speaks of it and has spoken of several other places. Paul is very clear here that he's talking about the coming of our Lord and the rapture of the church. And he said that that day shall not come except there be a falling away. Yes, that means catching away or snatching away. I don't have a problem with that. What do we see happening all around us in the world today? People are being snatched away from the things of God. Did you read just a couple of days ago that one of the founding members of the Newsboys has denounced God, walked away, and has proclaimed himself as an atheist? This stuff is happening all around us. What are they doing? They're being snatched away. That, that's what it is. They're being snatched away from the things of God. There has to be a falling away first. The man of perdition must be revealed. And he has to commit the abomination desolation. Three things have to happen before the rapture takes place. To me, it can't be any clearer in Scripture. I know people may disagree with me, but I'm teaching the class. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise, and, and another shall arise after them, and shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high how can he do that if we're not here I mean it's just <laughs> the church is obviously here we have to be or he can't wear us out <laughs> and he shall think to change times and laws that should be given unto his hand until a time and times and a dividing of times now in Hebrew uh, language what that means is three and a half years remember that Three and a half years and three and a half years of the tribulation period. Basically, the Antichrist is going to wear you out for three and a half years. It's going to be given into his hand to do that. Now, what's the difference between tribulation or per, I'm sorry, persecution and the wrath of God? We need to understand that. Some people, uh, I think they look at it and say, well, it's going to be awful, so what difference does it make? 
You will never go through the wrath of God. Scripture is clear on that. You'll never go through the wrath of God. Scripture is just as clear that you will go through persecution in this life. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily talking about the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation period. I'm talking about being a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. Isn't that what Scripture tells us? Mm -hmm. That's what it teaches us. And so uh, we have to understand the difference. Persecution, we are at the hands or at the mercy, if you want to use that term, of ungodly, wicked men attacking us. When it is the wrath of God, we are at the mercy of a God pouring out His vengeance of wrath on a sinful people. I would rather have the first one. <laughs> I would rather be at the hands of an of a evil man than to be at the hands of an angry God. That's the difference. I know I'm running behind. I might have to take another week. Early church fathers believed that you would go through this time. Justin Martyr, circa 150, said, He shall come from heaven with glory when the man of apostasy who speaks strange things against the Most High shall venture to do unlawful deeds on the earth against us Christians. Justin Martyr believed that we were going to be here. Arrhenius, Bishop of Lyons, says, In a still clear, clearer light has John, uh, in the apocalypse, indicated to the Lord's disciples what shall then arise, among whom the empire which now rules shall be partitioned. He teaches us that the ten horns shall be, which were seen by Daniel, telling us that thus it had been to them. It is manifest, therefore, that of these potentates, he who is to come shall slay three and, sub and subject the remainder to his power, and that he shall be himself the eighth among them, and they shall lay Babylon waste and burn her with fire, and shall give their kingdom to the beast and put the church to flight. The Antichrist is going to put the church to flight. This is what Arrhenius believed. After that, they shall be destroyed by the coming of our Lord. And Arrhenius also believed that God would use the tribulation to purify the church. You know, down through history, persecution has always purified the church. We see that happening, and we talked about what last week, that there's a hundred million of our brothers and sisters being persecuted across the world, you know what God is doing in that? He's purifying. He's cleansing and cleaning His church. When we get everything we want, we become the modern American church. Lazy, lackadaisical, <laughs> uncommitted, dispassionate. And I, I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about generally. Because the church hasn't had to pay a price for their belief. That's right. They haven't had to pay with their blood. This is what he said, and for this cause, tribulation is necessary for those who are saved. Oh boy, that sounds fun. <coughs> that having been after a manner broken up and rendered fine and sprinkled over the patient, patience of the word of God and set on fire for purification, they may be fitted for the royal banquet. God is going to allow the church to face tribulation in order to prepare them for the marriage supper of the Lamb. According to Arrhenius, he believed that the Antichrist was before the rapture. For all those and other words were unquestionably spoken in reference to the resurrection of the just, which takes place after the coming of the Antichrist and the destruction of all nations under his rule. Tertullian, second and third century church father and 
And a theologian said after, and he was describing some of the heavenly signs He was in this text here, and I didn't put it all down because it would be long, but he was describing the things that you see in Matthew, the sun darkened, the moon not giving its light, etc., etc. And then he said, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all those things and to stand before the Son of Man, that is, no doubt, at the resurrection, after all these things have been previously transacted. There was an amazing uniformity between Bible passages concerning the last days. And because we're doing communion today, I think I'm going to stop because it's getting late. But, and I don't want you to fall asleep when people are yawning and, you know, that would offend me and I'll cry. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. Uh, There's so much, and I know I kind of rattled off trying to get some of that behind you. I wanted to get to the clear text. I don't think anybody rationally thinking can pick up a Bible and read the text that I give you and and think, oh, we're going to escape all that. That's not what it says. But what Scripture does say is that you will never go through the wrath of God. And I talked about it last week and I want to reiterate it. Just because we're here doesn't mean we're going through the wrath. It does not mean that. God will protect His people from the wrath. And I, I showed you some of that last week. And and just like Egypt, God was pouring that wrath out upon Egypt while the children of Israel were right there. And God protected Israel from that wrath. Only Egypt suffered the wrath. Were things easy for Israel during that time? No. The Egyptians were furious. (laughs) They were persecuting those those Israelites. They They were coming against them. They knew it was God Israel doing this. So they were facing persecution Israel, I mean, Egypt was facing the wrath. There's a difference. Uh, and, and knowing the flood, that flood was taking place. And like I said last week, the, the wrath of God was literally happening right around their feet. There were people drowning at their feet underneath that boat. And yet God had held them up. You think things were easy stuck in an ark <laughs> for a year or a year and a half? Stuck in a boat with a whole bunch of stinky, nasty animals? <laughs> does not mean it was easy, but the wrath of God was happening outside the ark. Okay? And so I just want to reiterate, you will not go through the wrath. God will protect you during this time. You will be shielded. It doesn't matter. And and again, I'll say, God, let me be wrong. I'd love for the pre-tribulation rapture to be right. God, just blow that trumpet and let's go. I am ready. I would be wonderful to me, but I just don't believe it. But I do know this, whether it's mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, or some other thing that we hadn't even thought of yet, whatever it is, God is going to come back for His people. God is going to gather you, and you will not go through the wrath as He's pouring it out upon this earth. He will protect you and shield you from that. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your wonderful and precious people. As we go through these things, Lord, I pray that you will... Open our minds and our hearts to help us understand. And Lord, thank you for your truth that works in our lives. Father, I pray, I pray God for our faith in these days that are coming ahead, Lord. It it doesn't matter how we believe. I believe difficult times are coming, Lord. Even if even if it is pre-trib, God, it doesn't mean that things won't be difficult before that takes place. Lord, I pray, God, that you will give us faith and let us stand strong no matter what transpires between now and the time that you call us home. And I praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.